0: So, what happens after death some people would say that uh, there's nothing but the cold dark abyss while the christian has in their mind maybe there is something are atheists right and nothingness or what does science say and more importantly what does the bible say further every day howdy jonathan here for further every day in the chair philosophy with mr charlie uh but To my right i got the chair of theology how are you
1: good morning i am very good how are you
0: doing well so glad to have you there dealing with why we believe what we believe sitting in the chair here for philosophy dealing with the rigor that the christian must bring but to my left we are joined once again by a very special guest miss anita wood how are you
2: i am good and i'm pleased to be here thank you
0: so glad to have you there and today you're sitting in the chair of culture right yeah yeah so that's oh, so yeah why, so by, by, that's by the way nice. that's why so before we started before we started for those of you on audio i apologize you you know check out the the uh soon to be on x i hope uh but i actually moved the chair around if you're wondering why this high back chair is now in this <laughs> section we moved it to culture which i don't know if you realize the reason we have a uh uh oscar in the back is yes it's the chair of culture but it, it wasn't an oscar it was the golden globe but that's less iconic okay. D, uh, michelle williams said i wouldn't be here if it wasn't for um, my aborting my child right so that you know it's that's just dumb yeah it, yeah. it, it is it, it's, it's sad really but uh real sad. dealing with the culture that the world has brought and the counterculture that the christian must bring kind of our answer to the culture that's what uh, that chair is for and to her left we got as always mr steve how's it going
3: doing good man gonna step outside the box today <laughs> and uh hopefully not float outside because that well maybe maybe not, let's that, talk about that we're, we're gonna talk about that it'd be cool you know i mean uh, I felt like it though.
0: so again for those on, for those on audio you, you you don't really get to see mr steve doing the robot every time i introduce him i'm not sure what it's like the robot box he's making a robot box
3: uh, because I'm politically incorrect and I'm gonna step out
0: oh that's what that is box that 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 makes more sense I'm glad you explained it to his left we got mr. Charlie my (laughs) co-host today how's it going
4: it's good to have everybody here this is a I think this will be one of the more popular podcasts that we do this is a big-time topic well, hey, I, I agree with I, you. Charlie. I hope it
0: is. He's sitting in the chair of economics in addition to the chair co-host. Uh, he was the one that uh, did a lot of the wrangling for today. So, um, if you I haven't seen the after death movie yet, uh, some of us in this room have not yet because, you know, partly because of scheduling but whatever, but uh, we're going to go see it. Go ahead and go watch it. It's from Angel Studios. It's an interesting uh, uh, very, very interesting and
3: important movie. I want to pull up Hey, some oh. of the behind-the-scenes stuff. What, what, Steve? Co-star here. Uh, After-death movie. I, I wasn't... Steve. Steve. Gosh, Steve, man. Steve man, you, 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 took a, you took away oh. the
0: thunder. You took away the thunder because she has her book oh. here. I was going to say, and by the way, the cool thing right. about having Miss Anita Wood here is that she's actually written a book that is related because... Um, well, actually, I don't want to take away you from go you Go
2: ahead, and we'll get to it when you get to it
0: okay okay because she was actually present at one of the events and there's some very important testimony here that i think mm-hmm. is very very valuable yeah. but before we get there mr steve uh <laughs> mr producer if you can br- bring up my cut number one please um this is from the producers and researchers for the angel studios uh uh after death movie and I want to talk about first what is death because people Kind of have a, it's a bit of a moving goalpost. It's changed, and these gentlemen address it here, and I want to react to it afterward. But for now, Mr. Producer, they're going to be talking about what is death and uh, how how that is, yeah, how medically it's defined. I think that's an important thing to lay down right now. Go ahead, Ryan, and uh, by the way, right, right, the producer guy in the producer's chair. Thank you there for being there, sir. Go ahead and run that
3: clip, please. What, what does the cardiologist
5: have to say about this? Dr. Saber? Well, it's not a softball question, I can tell you that. Uh, <laughs> I, I agree with, with what Dr. Long said. He, he, he said it perfectly. The thing that interests me is that I do believe that the out-of-body experience is a manifestation of the human soul. And I had thought that, well, the soul leaves the body when the body is dead uh... and so i did some research on that and especially in in the new testament also paul's experience in second corinthians twelve where he said he was in the body or out of the body i don't know god knows then he went to the third heaven and uh... was told whatever he heard or saw up there it was unlawful for him to communicate so to me that and i that struck me as maybe he had some type of -of out-of-body experience and really couldn't explain it and that's very common in these experiences people say i don't know what happened to me but this is what happened uh and so anyway i I looked i reviewed uh the literature the theological literature for the last 150 years and i came across five or six very well-known theologians who had weighed in on this and they said that it's entirely possible that the soul can actually leave the body prior to final physical death. So that did fit with what was going on with these near-death experiences. That said, I believe that the that final physical death uh, happens, and I think it's irreversible, and it also is when the soul completely leaves the body. I don't think the soul is totally separate from the body until final physical death so bottom line is that i think the near-death experience is a spiritual experience uh in the spiritual realm of the soul separating but not separated entirely from the physical body
4: i love that story sorry to interrupt jason but the i love that story from
0: the bible because so okay so in the story they're talking about Mm -hmm. is paul 14 years before he's writing this letter. And so I I think that's important, but let's go ahead and lay out what clinical death is. So clinical death, is that moment where the heart has stopped beating. And that's how we typically have defined death up until this point. One of the things that's really interesting about this whole body of study, pardon the pun, is that we're actually starting to understand that the brain, and more importantly, there's something else, we would call that the soul is still active after that cardiac arrest, even during anesthesia, which I think they'll cover in a little bit, which is something that I I think it's very telling. Um, Again, I I forget the name of the the philosopher, but he said there there'll come a day when all the scientists and all of the uh, philosophers will climb a mountain. And when they reach the zenith of the mountain of knowledge, they'll find theologians having sat there for Mm. Ages before. Wow! And so that—that's kind of where we're at right now.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, where does everyone in this room think that uh, up until say you started to look into it, starting off, where did you think death was? W- when do you think you died? Like, like biologically,
3: would you put a, a mark and say that that person is dead?
1: You know, that's really interesting because I remember probably twelve or thirteen and my aunt was in a a serious car accident and she had one of these experiences so i was exposed at a very young age so i've always been very open to um these near-death experiences to say somebody is actually it is just not going to be revived i don't think there is a moment because it's been proven that they have clinically determined someone to be dead and all of a sudden they wake up I mean that's you don't have to go far. Yeah, it's it's not uncommon to hear that. So I don't think you can pinpoint a moment. I think you need to just yeah, they're gone. You know, there's no life you, you, you have to wait, I guess. So I don't I just uh, what I'm just trying to say, making it very confusing, I don't know if we have that very moment
0: now. And and we're going to explore that today. <clears throat> Excuse me, got some of throat. I think that there's a extra natural explanation. See, because everyone in this room, I believe, would, would identify as a dualist. And what, what I mean by that is that there is a physical and a metaphysical. And, everyone, they, and there's, there's two components to the body. The question comes, if there is a metaphysical, when that separation from this earth has occurred, that is when death actually occurs where i think we would actually define it but like you um my father actually had two out-of-body near-death experiences ndes as they call them which anyway uh my father's had two and one of them was very very clear in fact if you look at his face you can actually see where the ice skate went right through here he was uh, ice skating two girls were, were running and one actually bumped him and the other one tried to jump over him she didn't quite make it Oh. he was holding his Bible in his hand in the back of his car. Someone was driving him to the ER and he had a uh, uh, lock limb syndrome holding onto the Bible. They pulled him in, uh, 48 minutes after they signed the death certificate, he was in the morgue and they were in the elevator getting ready to put him on the slab. And, uh, they heard a, <gasps> <gasps> meanwhile, he'd been in, he'd been talking with Jesus without using words so much. Uh, And there was a question of what would you like? Would, do you want to stay here or do you want to go back? And his answer was what would please you. And then the light at the end of the tunnel that had gotten brighter, got dimmer into the back and he woke up and heard the, (gasps) and the morgue technician said, we got a live one. (laughs) So that freaked him out. I believe, you know, we, we, we both have, I think a lot of us in here have those. Uh, Miss Anita Wood, for sure, and I'm looking forward to hearing about that. But when did you first start to think there might be something other than cardiac arrest for death? Like there might be a point further along?
2: I don't know that I really have contemplated that particularly. That's Um, a fair response. You know, I'm not a person to seek out and hypothesize too much but I have seen things that I just accept Um, more and more now. And especially with my personal exposure to some of the people involved in the after death movie and uh, Dr. Sabom in particular and, and different others. I I think it's hard to determine like Nikki mentioned. And like you mentioned with your dad, um, I'm thinking of sort of, quote from Dr. Sebaum, I think in the movie uh, the people who actually die don't come back uh, Lazarus and Jesus are the only ones that we know of for, with certainty but people don't die forever and come back but we have in the in-between that all of us are exp- uh, talking about are near-death experiences uh, there's something not full death but something that we really don't understand clearly we're just beginning to say it does happen and the one i'm personally uh involved with i mean i don't know how you can refute someone's count like your dad's i'm not here to say that didn't happen and that's kind of where i stand with it
3: yeah steve where did you
0: Think that death was was you know pronounced before
3: you started looking into this? Before I started looking into it, um was when you just when they declared you dead. Yeah, science. I mean, um, you know, science, at the, science, type, at the scientific consistency. Sure. Um, you know. I mean, my father died of cancer, say, I think it was 15 years ago, and uh, they declared him dead, and, you know, me, that was just dead, and of course, you know, he didn't ever come back, died of pancreatic cancer. And I've I have personally never experienced or personally talked to anybody that has had an out of body experience, but um the only person that I've ever talked to about that real sort of thing was Anita and I guess it's probably been a couple of years I talked to her and her husband about experience of a book that we kind of got in depth about it and talked about her, uh, her former husband that had passed away and what he had done and whatnot. And it was just mind blowing what it was that they had talked about. And I was just amazed. Yeah. And Brother Charlie, you know, I, I don't know as I've
4: had a specific time that I really started delving into that deeply. I, I do want to bring up something that's really interesting from the perspective of Jewish culture. You know, when you think about Lazarus, uh, Lazarus being in the tomb three days, Mary and Martha were not happy campers. Why? Because Jesus was only a couple hours away and was close by when it come to go get Jesus, he can heal him. Why did Jesus wait three days? Yep. And the reason being is that in Jewish culture, you weren't dead unless you were dead for three days,
0: and that has to, that, and that has to do with with coma mm-hmm. without life support. Yep, that has to do. But but now we know.
4: Yeah, now uh, we absolutely. know absolutely. And, and and the reason I bring that up is when you get to the issue of Jesus being in the grave yes hello you know you you can't refute somebody being dead for three days so I find that to be really interesting I do agree with Nikki I'm not sure that we can pinpoint a moment we can say cardiac arrest well okay when CPR came along guess what we've had a lot of people come back from the dead
0: yeah and and let's explore that for a moment
4: hmm
0: let's explore that for a moment because 10 minutes is called biological death in the in and, and the reason for that during like for example during drowning did you know that most people their trachea valve closes during drowning and it doesn't open until 20 minutes and there's there's a 10 minute lapse There there the reasons for that but the trachea valve closes and doesn't start to reopen until 20 minutes after the person's heart stopped beating so they'll take the gulp of water their trachea valve closes to prevent the lungs from filling as much as possible mm-hmm. and that valve will be shut by the way that's why you don't have to do a bunch of diaphragmic thrust we used to call it the heimlich we can't call it that anymore because uh we can't have nice things because people didn't do it right and and they killed people with the uh, heimlich anyway uh but people say do I do the heimlich or do a, do diaphragmic thrust to get all that stuff out it's like no 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 no. squeeze them once start cpr but wear well, a barrier because uh in a retrospective study out of Australia, 10 years, they looked back over the last 10 years and, and looked at what happened. Two-thirds of, the res- of those who received rescue breaths, which is what you start with when you're doing uh, water, you know, drowning CPR. And then 86% of those who went on to have rescue breaths and compressions, vomited. Usually in the rescuer's mouth when they mm-hmm. were going for the breath. Mm-hmm. So, uh, because all of that is in, shut up here. Why do I bring that up? You ever wonder why the coroner is able to reliably say the person was dead three hours before they were found or 24 hours before they were found during the biological death phase, which is just a fancy word for saying the body is is returning to dust. Things like that trachea valve, they'll open at a slow, steady, measurable, reliable decay rate. That's how the coroner is able to measure. They take a measurement, they check, they come back, take another measurement and they say, okay, this is the time that the person passed and you can, you can get it down to within minutes. So, All of that to say there is a within 10 minutes there is a physical decay that starts real death with with real death there is a physical decay that does start and there are people who have suffered from some of that decay and then they come back which again that leads me to clip number two my clip number two if you can pull it up that leads me to believe that there's something else at play here And I think some of these stories, so scientifically, we we, we believe in the Bible as the foundation of our revelation, our understanding, and our belief. Any science that contradicts the Bible is a misobservation. Somehow we have misobserved or we do not understand the evidence that we are purporting to understand. But I do think that science is incredibly valuable. It's incredibly valuable, and so we're going to tee this up. And you know, I, you know, Steve teased it earlier. Miss Anita has some incredible testimony, and actually, she's written a book about it. And I want to talk about that in a moment. But what they talk about here, I think, directly links to the testimony that she's about to give us. There's something else at work. Go ahead and play that cut, Mr. Producer.
6: Chapter fourteen where it says that Paul was stoned to death in Lystra and dragged out of the city and left for dead. Uh, And then in second Corinthians 12, which Dr. Sabum is talking about, he says, um, 14 years ago, uh, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know, but I was taken up into heaven and I saw and heard things inexpressible things that, you know, people are not allowed to tell. And, if you look at a lot of the things that paul writes it's amazing how they correlate with the commonalities of what people who've had near-death experiences say um and you know there there are a lot there are about 40 of them that uh that i chronicle and imagine heaven but one of them and and dr long has noted this and and by the way dr long has um has uh assimilated over five thousand near-death experiences from all over the world in his research foundation, and studied them and even looked at the percentages. And I believe you can speak into this, Jeff, but um, 34% say they come to a border or a boundary uh, in their near-death experience that they knew they could not cross and still come back to life. And the reason that's important is that from a spiritual perspective, I think, Uh, For me, anyway, what death is, is also uh, evolving, Um, because in in some cases, uh, I've I've had near-death experiencers that I've interviewed tell me that that Jesus told them, you haven't died yet, you have to go back, and yet they were clearly clinically dead. They had no brainwaves, and and we're talking some of them for like an hour and 45 minutes, Um, so not just a few seconds. And so from our clinical view of, of, of death, there, there were no brain waves and yet they, they were fully alive in their soul, uh, in their spirit. And, and I think that border or boundary is the crossing over into eternity. So that's that, um, that separation into, from, from clinical death to full biological death like Dr. Saban was talking about. And I, I, one other thing, I think that's really important spiritually as well because, and you'll see this in the film, um, people like, uh, I mean, some, some of my good friends now, um, uh, Professor Howard Storm, um, who uh, he was an atheist when he died, is having a hellish experience and yet cries out to God for forgiveness and is rescued. And there are actually three guys in the film all of them by the way are now pastors today who cried out to god in this experience and 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 were rescued by him and that always bothered me because um you know does this mean that that you know after death then we can still cry out to god but i think that border or boundary uh marks a differentiation between still a tie to this earthly life and entering into eternity. Um, when, and I don't know exactly what that means, except I, I think the Bible talks about it, that it's appointed for, for mankind to die once, um, and, and then comes judgment. And so and that's Hebrews 9.27. And so I think that's after that crossing over that border or boundary.
3: Okay, So... Anita I'd like you to share your experience because you actually
0: have a kind of a tie to this to this movie and some of the stories that are in it don't you
2: well I have a tie with Don Piper's story and uh, he's the one who wrote 90 minutes in heaven and has just been a worldwide bestseller and um, I was on the bridge with him that day when the accident happened so some of the other people that were there may still be alive, but I'm the one who knows exactly what happened so, uh, to him in his wreck.
0: Can you tell us so back up, some people aren't going to know who Piper is. Back up just a little bit and tell us the whole story from your perspective.
2: Well, from my perspective, um my my husband who is deceased now was a pastor and we were at a conference in East Texas and <laughs> funny enough someone there decided to serve a bunch of pastors decaf coffee which gave me a headache and I even had to drink a dr. pepper to get over my headache so when we left there on a t- uh, Wednesday morning it was rainy and bad weather but we were heading back toward the Houston area and we put and and I pulled into Dairy Queen to get me a cup of coffee because of that When we came to this uh, narrow two-lane bridge, we were the first car upon the accident. There were no police, no EMS, no nothing but us driving across a bridge. And my husband um, told but later wrote his account of it uh, for our congregation in the mid-'80s, way before any other written account was ever done about this accident. So if I can read what he wrote if you like. I would love that. Um he talks about being the first car. Um he said when I see accidents I typically stop to offer aid and today was no different. As we approached the smashed car, I identified it as a Ford Escort. I realized the accident had occurred only minutes before we appeared. We were the first to arrive on the scene. I saw the horrific Carnage of the Ford Escort and suggested Anita walk back toward the less damaged car, the first car we passed on the bridge. That driver was conscious. The only other person on the bridge at the time was the prison guard who had been a passenger in the uh, 18-wheeler truck. He walked toward me and said, Don't bother about the man over there pointing to the crushed car. I've already checked on him. There's nothing to do. He's already dead. He continued with details about the driver losing control of the truck. We were entering the bridge, driving down the steep slope, and a slow-moving car pulled out in front of us. My driver swerved because he wanted to miss the car, but that made our truck go out of control. We began to veer side by side. He pointed to the east end of the bridge. He finally regained control and stopped there. After listening to the guard's account, I still felt I should go to see myself about the injured man. I walked toward the smashed car and stood beside the driver's door. That's when I saw a piece of bone lying on the highway. It must have belonged to the man in the car. I tried to process what I saw. His body was twisted and mangled and lifeless. I wanted to know for sure. I wanted to verify for myself whether he was dead or alive. So I felt for a pulse and there was none. Urgency arose in my heart, an urgency to pray. I recognized God's pressing on my spirit and his message was clear and succinct. Pray for the dead man. The words he gave me were few but specific. He impressed on me to pray two things, that the man live and that he have no internal injuries. I didn't discuss God's urging or direction with anyone. And of course, I knew such a prayer made no sense. That God's instruction to me was clear. I didn't know anyone who would dare pray such words, so still I hesitated. Should I? Have I Have I just gone nuts? Why would anybody pray such a prayer? Why would I pray these things when I already was told the man was dead? I can't even find a pulse, yet the urgency persisted. I tried to think, to understand, to decide what to do. Enough time had passed that police officers and emergency medical units arrived. I watched an officer approach the crushed car. He too attempted to find a pulse on the mangled man. I overheard his call on his radio. We have one fatality here. I remained near the small crushed car and watched an EMS declare the man was a fatality. Four different people now had verified the man was indeed dead. First the prison guard, then me, next the police officer, and finally the EMT. Still, I could not dismiss the impulse to pray. God had not released me from his resolve. The Spirit continued to compel me to pray specifically for this man. Finally, I obeyed as directed. Determined, I stepped toward the wreckage again and reached inside the shattered driver's side window. I extended my right arm and shoulder into the car as far as I could, and then I prayed, and I prayed boldly. I prayed aloud, willing for anyone nearby, nearby to join in the prayer. Once I prayed, I suppose the next thing I should do was speak to the man. After all, I reasoned, if God led me to pray so specifically, then I should expect some result. My first words to this lifeless, unrecognizable man were, friend, it's very important that I ask you this, are you a born-again Christian? He responded, I'm a preacher. He even told me which church he served in Alvin, Texas. That's when I realized we had attended the same meeting for the past few days. I was startled to identify this was Don. Before now, I couldn't tell who he was due to his injuries and condition. I began singing to encourage him to stay conscious. As I waited for an ambulance, I sang all the hymns I could recall, beginning with What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And when I sang, Don began to sing along. His voice was weak, but his voice clearly joined mine in singing praises to God. And then the ambulance came, and they took him. And uh, when Dick and I left the scene, there was a very steep hill going west at that point. We drove up the hill to the first payphone, called his church in Alvin, and that's how they learned that there had been an accident.
3: Wow. So again
0: his his testimony and story are, are in the movie so right go go, go and watch that but I, I i thought it would be really really important by the way where can people find this book
2: i haven't looked recently it, you may be able to find it on amazon it was there um, but if not contact me and we'll see what we can do
0: leave us a, uh, a question mark in one of the comment sections and if right. you see it well
2: yeah do, do a it Google on youtube search. Or,
0: or, or youtube yeah
2: yeah Amazon may have it. In What's world. the name of the, you need to give the name uh, of the book. Divine Appointment, Our Journey to the Bridge.
0: So all of that to say, we're not here necessarily set book, up again, but I Anita. want to give people the, the okay. knowledge of where there to go. go. So that's an important part of the story, I believe. Oh, let me see. I, th- I think I know what happened here. Pardon me. Huh. Technical difficulties here. Uh, that's an important part of the story and I think people need to realize something they talk about this in the behind the scenes I, I, I thought they mentioned it they, they may or may not have in the clip that we pulled one of the commonalities in a lot of these stories is that there's someone intercessing in the room with the patient on the bed or on the side of the road that is a commonality. That is something that is really, really interesting. Um, I, I want to get some reactions around the room to the idea that there is a spiritual boundary that some of these people seem to detect or, or uh, uh, at least instinctually realize that they cannot cross if they want to move into the next world. Does anyone have any any re- gut level reactions to that that you want to share?
1: Well, you know, I, I share with you that my aunt had one of these experiences. Well, this is the interesting thing is my aunt, um, I'm, I'm probably 12 or 13 at the time, and when I was 11, her son was six years old and died of leukemia. And that was her only child, and she was a single mother. So she... she um, I don't know if she was a believer or not a believer okay Uh, she wasn't living a very righteous life at that time and she had the accident and in her experience she was walking toward heaven and her son was sitting on Jesus lap and when Jesus looked at her told her go back so that was that was all that she that's all that I remember and and had but she saw her son in on with with Christ so like I said I've always been a person that has believed in this and I always believe that just because we can't explain it doesn't mean it doesn't happen because God is so powerful And our minds are so simple there are things probably right before us that we don't see and understand because god has not revealed it to us so this is not hard for me to understand when i hear these things
0: so by the way i'm about to say something that's going to be a little bit controversial okay i'm I'm going to say something that's a bit controversial and some some of you we're going to have a diversity of opinion here I, i i almost almost guarantee this one pastor that i know i actually don't fully agree with him but I mostly agree with him. And he said, "I'm not a universalist." He said, "I'm a mostalist." And what he meant by that is that in that moment between this world and that, that there are probably a lot of souls that are redeemed in those last moments, that there's yes. the opportunity for that. I, I'm very cautious of taking that on. But I do agree with him that there are a lot of people, there are Muslims, there are Hindus, there are atheists, there are Baptists, there are Catholics who are not saved when they die. And in that moment, they become saved. The reason I know that is because some of these people come out of the near-death experience believing in God. And a lot of them experience Jesus. Mm Or they talk to Christ himself like my father did. So does that mean that we should be less evangelistic? No. no. Evangelism. I'm, I'm going to say this. And some people aren't going to like this. Okay. Evangelism is for your relationship with Christ. God doesn't need you to save lives. God wants you to be about saving souls because he wants you to be like him. He literally sacrificed his son. He wants you to be about evangelism the way that he is in part of making us more like him. He does not need you to save souls.
4: I think the other thing that we need to remember here too, for those that are listening that maybe are not believers, um, this is not fire to play with. Oh, Let's, absolutely. It, it, <coughs> I think it, on the flip side of that, and, and I, I hear totally there, and I I don't know as I disagree with any of that. I think it's also equally dangerous to play that kind of game with God. God is not a player of games, and I think it would be very dangerous for a person to assume that they could be a participant in that kind of a scenario i think the reason that we see and hear um about these uh, near death experiences in in their i i would say and i i would love to hear miss anita say something in regards to this i think we're so close to the end times that i think this is one of those avenues that that god may be using for people to really consider their their walk with god Um, because I know back in the seventies, yeah, there were probably these kind of stories. They were not popular.
0: Let me push back on that. Sure. Let me push back on that. Uh, the knowledge in the end times will increase. I think we're starting to see with the social media age, uh, people are, for example, Israel and Gaza right now, people are seeing war. In all of its unbridled brutality, yes, Israelis are bombing military targets that are built over apartment buildings, civilian areas. And there are there are children who are broken and dead, and you see that. So people have a different opinion of war than they used to. Uh, It's not that the Spartans were somehow who glorified war. Mm -hmm. Be clear. It's not like they were somehow, like war was less brutal. If anything, it was more so. So now we get to see war crimes live in real time. We get to see civilian casualties live in real time. Mm -hmm. Now we get to see near-death experiences. They're they're a minority.
2: Well, In in the movie, Dr. Savon talks a lot about he interviews people, and he's interviewed people for forty plus years as he began his personal research and um, many, many people say to him you 're the first person i 've spoken to this about so yes, I think it happened um, but people didn 't speak about it because right. you were thought to be crazy, yeah. but also another doctor testified that with um Art resuscitation that's more active and available today then you're having Mm -hmm. more of these
0: yeah but the the, the one thing that i i I have to stress and i i I just said it and that this is what i was stressing when 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 you when you said that you don't stop evangelizing because of news like this you can't you can't because god wants you to take part in that act yeah and that is an act of obedience it's an and it should be urgent to you yeah. because here's the thing um there is a time of free will and choice i believe that anyone and everyone could hypothetically be convinced do that not everyone will Because they've decided that and they've made a choice. So there's this weird thing of God's sovereignty and and free will. But the one thing I can say with assurance, and I know this because of God's character, because of his nature, and because of the scientific evidence we have before us, there will be zero souls in hell saying, I desire God and I wish that he would have given me a better chance. I wish he would have given me a better life, so I would have picked him.
4: I think that's an excellent point right there. Um, and and it it kind of ties in with what some uh, pastors and theologians will say if if you're in hell, it's because you chose that. you chose that, and if you really think about the the starkness of that statement, are there people like that today? Yes,
0: and they're down there cursing God, yeah, there will be zero people. Everyone in hell will want out. Yeah. Noted. Like the the rich man wanted out, yes. he wanted relief. But did he ever say, "God, I, you know, Abraham, go to God and, and tell"? No, no. He says, "Abraham, go to my go to my relatives, go to my brothers, and tell them that they may not come to this place." Mm-hmm. You know, because I'm because I am it, it, there was a moral superiority yeah. to the rich man, uh, but he never said, "Forgive me, forgive me, get me out of here. I want God." He never said that it's nikki
1: well i was gonna you know i read um i listened to a podcast about a survivor man who survived um he was on a hike he got lost he, for five days uh he didn't have any water he had a he had a vision or an encounter and he said jesus came and he saw jesus in his He was very powerful and he he knew it was Jesus and he knew he was powerful and this is what he said on the podcast but I'm not going to convert to Christianity I decided that moment I was going to embrace my Jewish faith you know God always comes to you and gives you a choice my word will not return void two things are going to happen you're going to soften to the word or you're going to harden to the word so you are making a choice with the information that God has given to He'll you. You'll be so, one of the
3: Jewish people that are left behind. Well, mm-hmm.
0: and, and again, this brings me to, and, and, and this is kind of, I don't want to get too off in the weeds in this, but I do believe that God, you have two reactions to God. Your heart, when, when it says in the Bible, that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. I, God can't do evil. It's not in the nature of God. God revealed himself to Pharaoh, and in reaction to that, that was hardening Pharaoh's heart. God revealed himself to Pharaoh, and he said, I am God. This is real. I am real. And Pharaoh had a reaction. You have a reaction when you encounter God. Yes, It's either a hardening or a softening, and it is based on the makeup. And in that way, you're predestined. Only in that way. And that God when he made you knew that you, what you would do, but God still gives you the choice
4: John Arthur, I think uh w- one of the things for our listeners or those that are viewing this um, the clips that we're playing were from the recorded live stream with three different people and the the five sorry um that that live stream contains a lot of compelling Uh, information that I think everybody I think they would benefit from hearing you know link
0: in the description below
4: absolutely Uh, I and I will say that before even you know seeing anything about this a few years ago I was watching something on TV um, and I don't know if it was one of those documentary type series where they deal with certain things this one happened to be after-death experiences And this one woman was, uh, very, very ill, very sick and laying dying in her bed at home. And somebody, uh, had called the ambulance ambulance came and she was one of those that described this floating out of the body and seeing things from up above. She was describing things that she would have had no way of knowing. And those are the kind of things that are very interesting, very compelling to, to listen to. And this the, the, the recorded live stream uh, is something that, if you're not sure about really going and seeing the movie, I would encourage you to listen to the, the live stream first.
1: Can so. I add something here? Um, and you're talking about floating out of your body. There are a couple people that we know personally, one of them being Charlie's um, Aunt Karen. Here in in, um, Luke chapter 16, in 19 through 29, and it says, the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. So when Aunt Karen died in her sleep, in her bed, her arms were like this. She was reaching up. Angels were reaching down to grab Aunt Karen. She was reaching up. There was another woman at our church. She died in her sleep, and that's how they found her. I have no doubt. I, have, I don't doubt that for a minute.
0: So okay. it, one of my Bible study teachers: you want to go ahead?
4: Yeah real quick, just to back on that. go ahead. Uh, we, we know of a man in our church previously in Lakeland, Florida, um, served many years, children's ministry, bus ministry, and uh, he was in a hospital, had uh, family and friends around, and when he passed. Um, it was described, hands went up, smile was on the face and hands came down.
0: Yeah. One of my Bible study teachers, when she passed or her, when her mom passed rather, uh, she said, don't you see that man? Mm. Don't you see that man? He's beckoning me and, and, and he, he, wants me to cross the river with him. Mm. So there, there's a, there's a geophysical but I a, a geospiritual boundary yeah. rather that, that you are invited across. And so I think that that's something that's really important to note <laughs> that it, it, this is beyond simply spirit. We we've taken the metaphysical. I want, I, I, I think we've taken the metaphysical and we have crossed it into the scientific based on multiple users experiences. Uh, you know, or individual experiences, people who, who, who's there's a techie in me, multiple people who <laughs> I built websites and do online work. Uh, so people's experiences and we're, we're actually translating all of this data into something that, that is a body of evidence, but most people don't believe in the evidence. Mr. Charlie, I, I know you wanted to cover, uh, kind of what the culture and what the world thinks about this. There's some good Barna data, Mr. Producer, if you could pull that up. It's going to be the Barna note. It's not going to be a cut. It's going to be the Barna note.
4: Yeah. In the Barna research, um, when it comes to spiritual related things, um, probably one of the best organizations that you could find on, on uh, research. I will note, this is really important to note here. Um, this study was done back in the early 2000s. Noted. So, um, the, the, the statistics and everything that you see in there are, are, um, are a little old, but compared to what we're used to today,
0: you have those stats in front of you. I now. don't. So, I, okay, go ahead real quick. Uh, how many people believe in the afterlife? Well, 81% believe, uh, polled believe that there was some sort of afterlife. Another 9% said life after death may exist, but they were not certain. Just one out of 10 adults contend that there's no form of life. After one dies after Earth, that has changed a lot that has changed, but again, this is an older study. Um, however, heaven and hell uh, the survey explored people's views on heaven and hell, and all seventy six percent believed that heaven existed while the, nearly the same popular proportion said that there is such a thing as hell so seventy one percent respondents were given various description. Uh, were given various descriptions of heaven and asked to choose a statement that best fit their belief. Those who believe in heaven were divided between describing heaven as a state of eternal existence with God in his presence and those who said it is an actual place of rest and reward where souls go for after death. 46-30% split. Uh, uh, Other Americans claim that heaven is just symbolic, 14%, and that there's no such thing as life after death, 5%, or that they're unsure,
4: 5%. And I would say those numbers have probably gone up in the last 20 years.
0: They've shifted for sure. While there's no dominant view of hell, two particular perspectives are popular. Four out of ten adults believe that hell is a state of eternal separation from God's presence. I would disagree with that. I think it's an eternity in the presence of God, and we can discuss that at some time. We need to do a full debate.
4: Charlie Mm -hmm. Mm disagrees with John Arthur. Charlie's wrong.
0: (laughs) I would agree with you, but i would be wrong too. Uh, But- (laughs) It's a fun topic to discuss. But but, um, with that said, uh, eternal separation from God, 39%, and one third says that it's an actual place of torment and suffering where people's souls go after death. That is much closer to what I believe. Uh, and Charlie would take more of the 39% view yeah. um, however however, I would say that it's actually the presence of God that is the torment of the soul the righteousness of God and, the presence and of and his righteousness to
4: that, um, the one thing that I would say in regards to this, this research the study and where we're at today in culture is what's sad to me is the number of quote unquote Christians who don't Believe in a heaven or hell
0: and, and that, that's actually gone up time. what yeah yeah
4: yeah
0: how uh,
2: can how
1: can that even be possible well, and, and
4: here's the thing i, I, I know I, I totally agree with that uh, question right there I think though that there are a lot of people who who claim to be Christian, they really have no idea who Christ is, so you've gotten some skewed Data um opinion, whatever that's what I think. The reason I want to bring this up is is this: you dear listener, you 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 dear viewer, um you need to come to this conclusion on your own, and what we're trying to do is we're trying to give you some things to consider to think about. Uh, we come at it from what we believe is a, a strong biblical viewpoint. Um, and today's podcast is no different. So I, I think it's really important that everybody understand, don't just listen to someone. You don't just listen to a pastor tell you this is true without checking it out. You don't listen to your friend just tell you this is true without you checking it out. There was something that came through on Facebook the other day. And <laughs> what does Charlie do? I'm like, hmm, better check this out. Uh, this looks a little funny well funny enough I had checked it out just a couple of days before and he said I'm gonna let the fact checkers check it and I gladly responded so all of that to say we need to study we need to dig that's up to us individually so and
0: yeah, absolutely. And so just to update those those stats, a 2021 as opposed to 2000s poll suggests that uh, 61% of Americans believe that there is a heaven and a hell. Wow. Only 61%. Wow. So what that means is we got 40% walking around that believes that there's only a hell or only a heaven. And that would be 13% only believing in heaven. And there is a 1% that believes not in a heaven, but only in a hell. So, uh, link in the description below, by the way, this is from Pew Research. Uh, I, I just pulled it up, so I'll have to put it in the thing. I'm not going to torture Mr. Producer here. But, uh, just a note, only 90, so 90, 92, <laughs> 92% of uh, Christians believe in a heaven. So Those 8% of Christians, so-called, do no. not. And by the way, it's only 79% of Christians believe in a hell. So all that to say, biblical literacy, very important. Mm-hmm. But if you do not believe in a heaven or a hell and you are a Christian and you are listening to the sound of our, of our voices on this podcast, may I humbly suggest, get your butt up, go watch this movie. But also, more importantly, what does the Bible mean to read, you? Read your Bible. Oh, that's... What does the Bible mean to you?
1: I think we need to make it clear. There's a lot of people that... Many people label, label themselves... As a Christian, but they have no clue who Jesus Christ is and have never made a personal commitment to Jesus Christ.
4: Jesus is mostly unicorn, lollipop. Yes,
1: yes. As one woman said to me, well, you're a Christian. You're born in a Christian nation. So.
0: Yeah. And, and and so yeah that 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 i i, I eat at chick-fil-a i'm a christian sort of problem <laughs> I, 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 it's just not it's just not wrong don't <laughs> tell <laughs> me that what he's saying is ryan Holy. Holy.
4: don't do that
0: <laughs> yeah 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 so ryan works at chick-fil-a as well as volunteering for this podcast he's also a hard-working chick-fil-a guy go uh go annoy him in the drive-thru and ask for extra everything um <laughs> Yeah, he's looking oh, for his. Okay, you. he found it. <laughs> he found it. Um, but all—all all of that to say, I—I—I I, I think that we've put together a somewhat compelling list here, and this podcast is going to go a little bit long because we—we do want to actually do this justice, and we kind of want to get into that. Is, is everyone okay with this kind of spilling into a kind mm-hmm. of a second part here? Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah, Steve hasn't even got to talk yet, so. <laughs> I want
4: Steve to talk. He hasn't had a chance to get politically incorrect.